Business Trendsetter Podcast, where we talk about trends and how to use them to grow your business. My name is Manny Turan. And I'm Adam Hartung. We are Spark Partners. We come to you every week with information on trends and why they're so important to grow your business. Uh, we occasionally have uh, guests, but mainly it's Adam and I looking at the, the world through our lens. And, uh, you know, we've talked about the pandemic. We've talked about a lot of these world events happening right now. And one of those uh, of course, is the pandemic. And there's a company that was started, I was doing some research here, it was actually in a, uh, a Kickstarter campaign back in 2013. We were able to raise about 300k to launch this company. And they, in a matter of speaking, they really rode the wave of the pandemic. And, and uh, ever since things have been going back to normal, so to speak, uh, they've been struggling a bit. So that company is Peloton. Um, in case you're not aware, Peloton is a it's a platform where people can jump on these these bikes and there's an interactive uh, platform, a screen and some um, microphones and cameras and all that so that you can be doing your exercise with other people in the comfort of your own home. Um, they've really had a meteoric rise, uh, you know, from 2013, they had their initial Kickstarter and by 2017, they had a one billion dollar valuation. Uh, the fabled unicorn status. And then about two years later in 2019, they had an IPO. So from 2019 and 2022, they've gone from 1.29 billion, 2.95 billion, 4.13 billion in 21. And then they've dropped to, uh, to three in uh, 2022. And this year will probably be the same, if not a little bit flat. So I want to talk to you. Uh, to those the are audience. revenue numbers, right? You were reading yeah. off revenue numbers. Yeah, those are revenue numbers, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So I think it's important for uh, our listeners and and viewers to to <clears throat> think about these case studies as it pertains to their business and how sometimes you uh, you know you ride these waves, but you got to get off of them at the right time or make different sort of decisions. Um, and looking in the future, you know, we talk a lot about the concept of a blank space team. And so let's kick this off, Adam, with your thoughts on uh, Peloton. You know, Manny, so often we talk about the things that go wrong, and that's what we're doing again with Peloton now. And often our clients come to us whenever uh, they're struggling to try to figure out why things have gone wrong for them. And the reality is, is that some of the best work we ever do is the work we do when things are going right. So when revenues were growing, which they were for you know, seven, eight years there at Peloton, the question is, what were they doing? Were they preparing themselves so they could be ongoing successful company? And it, it's usually during that period when things are going well that people make the mistake. And mm -hmm. in this case, the mistake they made was just so focused on their value delivery system. And they didn't think about their value proposition and they didn't think about what they could be doing. Right. So, you know, you had this, you're selling these stationary bicycles, but that's a value delivery system. You know, your, what's your value proposition? Yeah, actually, that'd be a good segue real quick to inform our listeners, Adam, of the difference between value and value delivery. I don't, I don't know if a lot of our new listeners uh, understand that. Yeah, so your value proposition is, is long lived. It's a why do people buy from you? What is it that they want from you? You know, what, what is it they really want? So people were buying Peloton because they wanted something related to health, right? something related to physical activity, something related to athleticism. You know, I, I wasn't in Peloton, so I, but that you know you're going to start in that framework. People are, are looking for ways to remain healthy. And one of the ways they did was they came up with this bicycle, the stationary bicycle, and then they wanted to give people the opportunity to have a group interaction, which they believed would be more motivating. And it was. And so sales are growing, growing, growing. Now, the question is, 
when potato sales are growing, where do you put, where do you put your attention? And almost every entrepreneur I've dealt with, every business person puts their attention on their value delivery system. Oh, we've got to sell more stationary bikes. We've got to sell more stationary bikes. And so they've tried trying to figure out how to make them cheaper, how to make them better, how to add more features, functions, and benefits to the product they already have. And the, the reality is, is that that's a good thing to do, and it's the right thing to do. But simultaneously, you should be saying, but what else would fit in my value proposition besides that one value delivery system? Mm -hmm. Could I have more value delivery systems? What else could I be doing? So when you're, you've got some money and you can invest the money, then you're thinking about, okay, what could be the next value delivery system? Now, in their case, one they, they really got trapped because when the pandemic hit and people and gyms were closed, literally, and nobody could go to a gym, the gym rats that really, really missed it, and people that were working from home now and they weren't getting their exercise by walking to work and other norms that they had, they, they said, oh, wow, let's go buy a Peloton. So what happened was it pulled demand forward. Now, we've talked about this a lot. Yeah. Trends accelerate when there are major disruptions. Right. So we see here we had a major disruption. The trend towards health and fitness accelerated. So more people are demanding these bicycles. What was the trap? Go build more bicycles. And that's right. what they did. And they got to where they extended themselves, extended themselves, extended themselves. And what they didn't do is they didn't say, well, what else could we do? You know, what else could we be doing that would fit our value proposition? If they had said, you know what, there's so much demand for these bicycles now. What's going to happen is it's probably going to fall off. At some point, this pandemic will end. Now, that we didn't know. We didn't know, you know, people like you and I were predicting what behaviors would be happening. But let's say that they weren't good at predicting behaviors. But what they did know was that the pandemic would end. They should have. It wouldn't be hard to say, you know what, that the, the 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 demand for these machines will not continue at this rate. That doesn't mean we're not going to sell a lot, but it won't keep at this rate. And what you probably should have done is said, look, we're outselling our our supply lines. Let's raise price, and let's you know make get the maximum we can out of this while we can. And then if our supply chains come back around and we can build more, then we can lower the price again in the future. And then they could have taken that money and gone into doing something else with it. Like, what could you right. do? Well, let's think about it. All the gyms in the United States were closed. What would have been a better time to have gone out and bought some gyms? Yeah, absolutely. Could, could have bought the health, you know, these health gyms, these clubs. I believe it was Gold's Gym completely folded, went into bankruptcy during the, the pandemic. You could have picked that up. And then what you could have done is converted it into a very modern gym with Peloton machines. And it could have been Peloton gyms. You know, people could come in there and have the, the live, real Peloton experience yeah. on stationary bikes, or they could, you know, do, do their other exercises. And the other yeah. thing, that they should have just said, well, what can we do? They should have been making apps for health, right? They should have said, you know, we're into health. We should be, you know, the, there was a the company that came out with a device that you put two fingers on it, it'll give you an EKG. You buy it for about 100 bucks in a Walgreens store. That kind of a product, Peloton, should have been all yeah. over that. It hey. could have been more of a platform, and like we've talked about in the past, Success uh, uh, forgives lots of sins, right? When you're making lots of money and you've got a lot of, you know, things are looking great, you tend to not look at the, the cliff coming. And not to say that there's a major cliff. I mean, they haven't really made any money. And there's a couple other pieces of news that I think are really important to share with our listeners, Adam. And, and that is in, in the last two quarters of 2021 and the, la and the first two quarters of 2022, they all had losses. So I know that 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 is a pretty important piece of data that I think we should talk about. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't focus on earnings so much, um, but but you do have to have cash flow, and you should be investing it wisely. If your revenues are growing, 
and you're not making a profit, then you have to think I'm an Amazon. And remember, Amazon was constantly have to raise more money. So do you have that skill set? That's another thing we often see in our entrepreneurs and the companies when things are going well, is they, they don't invest in having somebody that focuses on finance. And I always find this amazing because if, you, if you've got a customer that's your top customer, you have a salesperson dedicated to them. If you have a supply chain and there's some components of supply chain that are critical, you have a person in purchasing or supply chain management that's focused on it. But if you think about it, there's nothing more important than money. <laughs> and so what you should have is you should, there should be a person in your organization whose job it is to constantly have a deck ready for raising money. And then that person will be able to say, okay, um, here, here's, you know, here's our value proposition. Here's our value delivery system. Here's where else we would invest. Here's new value delivery systems that would be interesting to us. Here's growth opportunities we see. So that then whenever people want to throw money at you, you're ready. In the case of Peloton, when sales were accelerating at this tremendous rate at the beginning of the pandemic, 2020, then they had this perfect opportunity, as you said, they were unicorn, to turn around and raise some more money. We saw that um, uh, Zoom, for example, did that. While they were, everybody was hot, hot, hot for Zoom, they accelerated to the trend. Zoom said, hey, look, this is probably going to have some tapering off. Let's think about what we want to invest in. We need, let's, now's the time to go raise money. And they were ready to move. Peloton wasn't. And too many companies aren't. They're not, they wait and they say, well, when they want to raise money is when they're in a problem situation. Well, okay, that's, that's the worst time to try to raise money, right? right? Who wants to give you money when you're in a problem situation? And if they do, they're going to take, you know, a pound of flesh for sure right. in, in terms of the cost of that money when they give it to you. So, so really what I'm getting at here is that when things are good, we often aren't thinking ahead about how to keep them good. So, you know, take, for example, Pelton has a great year. What do you do? Oh, well. You know, you might hand some money to the shareholders. If you're an entrepreneur, you put some money in your pocket. You take some money out of the company. You say, oh, great, I want to reward myself. Uh, you give your employees some bigger bonuses. All of that's a good thing. But at the same time, where was the money going into the next thing that you could do? Because like I said, it's not that hard to right. sit here and think about health and say, you know, apps and devices for health, uh, other forms of exercise, uh, other means of delivering exercise. There were a lot of ways to look at what their value proposition was and then think about what that next thing is that they could do. And yeah. when we look down the companies that we hold up as examples for people to say, you know, why are these companies better than average companies? You take a company like, for example, Google. You know, Google's made almost all of its money in ads, you know, the, the ads that are placed on search. But for the last 20 years, they've had this uh, moonshot thing, right? Where they take money and they go over and they've invested it in things like, um, you know, autonomous software for autonomous cars. They've invested in um, uh, uh, re-engineering the brain and using electronic devices in the brain. And, yeah. You know, just some, they've invested in a lot of things. Now, we haven't seen much of that turn into revenue, but the reality is, we didn't care because they were growing the revenues in the ad search business. They were doing really, really well. And they were taking a little bit of this money and looking around, looking sideways, trying to figure out what to do. And now they've hit it. Now AI has come along right. and they were on AI a long time ago. They thought about this, these um, large language models and they're bringing that product into their product base and they're getting ready to roll with it. And they're more likely going to be a pretty big success because they were, like I said, they've been thinking about AI for five years. Yeah. So when we predicted three years ago that AI was going to be a big deal, um, you know, they were already there looking at it right. and, and now they're ready to roll with it. 
so how many of our clients went out there and said, hey, Adam, we got your four big trends, you know, AI is one of them. We're going to go invest in AI. Not, you know, the thing is, is that I go around talking to people say, we wrote that paper three and a half years ago. I said, how many of you put money into it? Right. And the reality is they didn't. You yeah, know, they didn't they- try to get ahead of it. What could we do? You know, they weren't paying attention, even though you could read about um, open AI. It's been in the papers. It's been something you could read about for a long time. The development of long, large language models has been come along just like blockchain something you could read about. And you, did you make that investment? And so that's where I think, again, we kind of look at Peloton and you say, could that problem, could their problem right now of near bankruptcy have been avoided? And the answer is yes. Yeah. And they, I think over invested in their one value delivery system. Mm-hmm. They put all of their management talent, their energy into that one thing, which was making those stationary bicycles instead of thinking about their value proposition and what more could they have done and investing in those things whenever times were good, you know, yeah, and, and you know, if they, you look uh, at it, everybody's that way, you know, uh, Amazon, you know, started right. with books where they are now, you know, we could go down that list of successful companies. But I think at some point the, the value they had, um, and of course their value delivery, I think at some point the value delivery becomes a commodity. I mean, if I look at the competitors of, of Peloton, these are all platforms that are beginning or have already, uh, have a very similar framework, Life Fitness, which you might be aware of, they make a lot of machines. SoulCycle, another company that does this sort of framework. Uh, remember Nordic Track? Yeah. Same thing. They're having this platform, <clears throat> fully immersive platform like Peloton, Echelon, even Bowflex, if you remember them from the commercials, they, they have a similar framework. So now they're, now I think that um, Peloton is having to, as you said from your book, to defend and extend yeah. rather than to look forward as towards what's uh, happening in the world. So I always tell people every time I give a presentation that I run this little game and I say, hey, let's imagine that I hit the lottery and I call all of you people individually next week and I tell you that I've hit the lottery and uh, I'm going to get a billion dollars and I've set up a fund and I'm ready to hand two to five million dollars to anybody who can set up an operational white space team or blank space team in five days. And what I'm saying there is, do you have the idea, the big idea ready to go? Have you vetted the idea? Have you thought about who would staff the project? Have you thought about who would report to? Have you thought about what the metrics would be for this project team so you could keep track of what's going on with that team? If you think about um, a, a company like Virgin, all right, yeah. Uh, they that what are they? They're a collection of businesses that were started as white space projects, and what they're really good at is thinking through those things that I just mentioned, right? And they they've got these projects ready to go, and people don't have them ready to go. They haven't thought about that, and and people always look at me like, well, why would I do that? I don't have the money, and I say, well, if I offer you the money, then you're ready to go work on it, right? Well, you need to flip that around. The reality is is that if you get your teams together and you start talking, you say, look. We're, we're good at what we do, folks, but let's look at our value proposition. What, could, what else could we do? Yeah. You know, what is the, with trends happening, world changing all the time, what's the next thing we could do? What, what could we get into? Where could we put our money? You know, Amazon went from selling books to selling, you know, the cloud, right? Which right. is a, just a tech product. That's anything to do with general merchandise or the retail world. So what could we do? And if you think about that and your team works on it, and you start saying, wow, that's a great idea. And you're vetting the idea and you're starting to see how who your customers would be and why they would want it. And you understand your value proposition in that new idea. 
And then what happens is you start building out, well, gosh, what would a team look like to launch this? Who would be on the team? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like I said, who would it report to? How would we staff it? What would be the right. metric so we know if we're doing right or we're doing not doing right? We're not, you know, what would be the metric that would say, let's keep pouring money at this. Yeah. If we don't, if the metric's bad, we say, hey, maybe we should pull up. We didn't read the market right. You know, if you if you start putting a lot together, you realize that what you're doing is you're creating a plan. Yeah. And now what happens is if you've got a plan and you vetted it and you worked it hard, then you start saying, maybe I should find some money for this. And whether it's and money think- from your company or from outside, you can go try to get the money. And you're much more likely to get it when you have a plan than when you don't have a plan. I think one of the traps that small business and medium-sized business fall into, and even the entrepreneurs that are the, the solopreneurs out there, is they, they have a sense of, uh, well, th- that's Peloton. That's Netflix. That's Amazon. Those are big companies. I don't have the resources. Well, here's the thing. You might, may not have their resources, but you do have something they, they don't in that you are nimble. And you have the ability to move uh, on a dime. You know, moving a company like Peloton around is going to be difficult, but not impossible. And I think um, you know, building that bridge, understanding it. Yeah, like you said, you've got to have something in mind. You got to be looking over the horizon, and not just expect business as usual. I mean, how many times have have uh, salespeople or CEOs that we've spoken to, they have a tendency to blame sales for for them not having the revenue that they want? All right, well, sales is just part of the whole process. And if you're trying to sell something that nobody wants to buy, you can have all the best salespeople in the world and it wouldn't move the needle. You know, a few years ago, it was actually quite a few years ago, I was working with a private nonprofit um, college and they, the problem was they were doing okay, but their problem was that the cost of getting new students kept going up every year and um, the cost of the faculty kept going up every year. And there was an increasing competition because they were in the Chicago, generally the Chicago market and, uh, com- and, and universities like Notre Dame were opening up remote sites in Chicago. Um, so really big brand name universities were coming in and uh, they were finding it a struggle to compete, struggle to get students. And they said, you know, we really got to do something different. So we took a look at, you know, what their value proposition was around this education. And then what we said was, well, what were the value delivery systems? And, you know, they were pretty traditional. They had a building, they had teachers, they had associate professors, people come in, go to class, take a test, but pretty traditional stuff, right? And the clear thing was it was going moving towards um, uh, online education, you know, University of Phoenix, uh, Southern New Hampshire University, that kind of thing was certainly coming fast. We said, you know, we need to get after that. We also need to change recruiting from just going out and trying to get people the traditional way mm-hmm. with some advertising and going to, you know, where they're already going to school and, and actually do a lot more on social media, Twitter, Facebook, that sort of thing, which they had no presence in. And so we start saying, okay, so we need to invest in online education. We need to invest in social media as a place we can go, but they don't, we don't have any money. And how are we going to do that? We don't have any money and we're a nonprofit. We can't go out and raise money. You know, other than holding our hat out for donations, right, to our to our alumni, it's about all we could do. And I was there, and I was looking around. And I said, you know, heaven help me, folks. But I said, why don't we shut that that building over there? Let's either sell that building or let's rent that building out, and we'll have some money. And they're like, oh my gosh, what, what would we do? You know, the, the 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 teachers that are in that building would would be, you know, they'd hate us. And the students, where would they go to class? And I said, we just said we've got to offer more online yeah. courses. We just said we need less in classroom teaching. What we need to do is we need to reallocate our resources. And that's one of the things that I find very much that uh, our small businesses often don't think about. They get into a rut. You know, this is where we put our money. 
and they keep saying, I got to do more of what I've always done. And sometimes what you need to say is, you know what, I need to put that more on autopilot and pull the cost down. You know, Warren Buffett is, is what he does to, to make great wealth is he'll find a business that doesn't have a tremendous amount of growth opportunity to it. And he'll say, how could I take that business and pull as much cash out of it as possible? So he buys a railroad, right? And he comes in, he starts pulling the cash out of that railroad. Whatever business he has, he pulls the cash out of it. And so how does he do that? By not investing in non-growth businesses. When he sees it's non-growth, he says, okay, guys, you're going to keep doing what you're doing. You're going to get paid well, but I expect you to return the money back to the home office, yeah. which is Ber Berkshire Hathaway. And he says, so you're going to be a cash machine. And so all these businesses that he buys, Dairy Queen, et cetera, that he buys the whole thing and he pulls the cash out of it. So he can use that cash to make um, private equity type investments that have very, very high rates of return. Well, what we don't do enough of is that we don't yeah. sit down and say, you know what? We've been investing in this customer group over here. They're very demanding, but it's non-growth. We need to find a way to do less in that business, cut some of the costs in that to invest in the thing that could grow. I've been doing this for about 20 years, and I've told people I have never walked into a company that I couldn't find at least a third of the cost structure that was overinvested. Now, and it's why? Well, it's because, you know, if you think about it, every day you go to work, you've got a laundry list of things you wish you could do better. Everybody in operations, purchasing, marketing, sales, accounting, they've got a laundry list. Oh, if I had this piece of software, if I, you know, there's something they would like to have money for. So they keep asking. But there's nobody around asking for money for the next big thing, right? No. Unless you have a standing white space department, yeah. right? And I think the a lot of that has Yeah, these are to create the alternatives. And so we have to learn how to pull back on that resource and say, wait a minute, you know, do, do we really need to put the money there? Do, could we get by with less in that area in order to invest in something else? If I take this all the way back to my book, the first story I tell is about AM Multigraphics, which made printing equipment. And they... Uh, they, they tried to get into the copier business. And when they tried to get into the copier business, they tried to use the same sales force, the same staff, and it was just a, a big flop. And they, they kept saying, well, you know, we really never had the money to go out there and sell copiers. And the reality was that the printing equipment business was going to pot. Small printers were just you know, the, having a printing press in the basement of your building was a losing propositions. Everybody was installing Xerox machines like rabbits have babies. And, um, and what they needed to do was they needed to stop doing the investing in the printing, stop trying to make yeah, better printing presses and just take that money and put it in, really get invested in some of these other things. And uh, they didn't do it. And as a result, you know, they're a defunct company. They don't even exist anymore. But then who wants a printing press in their basement these days, right? Yeah, it's very true. I think so, a lot of it ha that has to do with uh, speed to market and um, how quickly you move. I mean, I'm part of the, the College of Engineering uh, Dean's Advisory Board for the University of Arizona, and I've been uh, in that group for a long time. And I'm just watching them have that same argument of, of uh, okay, how do we get more students here? How do we get more enrollment? And it's really over the past year that they've made some major moves to get more uh, out of, um, uh, I forget the name that they call them, like the online students, non-traditional students. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're talking about if they would have made this move 10 years ago, it would have been a different story for, for today. And, and, and so that's why it's important to look around at companies like a Netflix that does a strategic pivot, right? It goes from delivering DVDs to your house to streaming, which is a whole different technology. And it goes from focusing on the streaming delivery part to then making their own, um, their own content, yeah. right? What they're doing is thinking about, well, 
what could I do next? And then when they realize how big the next thing can be, they reduce the investment in the old thing. And, and that's, it's hard to do. But we know we're watching Ford do it right now. Ford was a company that had a lot of struggles and they came back and said, you know what? We don't really make any money selling sedans. The yeah. Ford Taurus every year was in this big war with the Toyota Celica and uh, I think it was the Honda Accord with a, was the third one. There were three sedans. Who's going to be the number one volume sedan right. in the world, right? I mean, that, was, that was quite an honor to be the number one volume, but you, they weren't making any money at it. And it took all kinds of resources to manage that business. And they sat back and said, we, we just really don't do well in that business. What if we just stopped? And we put our focus on what does make a lot of money for us, pickups, SUVs, specialty cars like the Mustang. And that's what they did. And people went, oh, my God, this is horrible. Ford, you're ruining the company because you're you're getting out of that business. And what they did was, no, they focused their energy on the things that made profit. Then the second thing they said was, you know what, we really got to move to electric. And they stood up a whole separate company. So now there's, you know, there's the traditional Ford. And I think they call that Ford Blue. And then there's the new Ford E and the Ford is the electric company and both of them are out selling but what that's smart about that is they're not investing in the internal com combustion engine part of the business they're using that as in sell 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 right. sell and help us fund the development of the electric car business because we know that's the next big thing now this is kind of what facebook did you know it, it kept you know it started off with facebook and then it bought instagram which became a big business and then it bought whatsapp which is, has a lot of users, as long as they're growing the revenues, as long as you're focused on that, then it's a wonderful thing. And now in the last couple of years, they've turned and put a lot of money into this metaverse. The problem, that's good. I like it with the exception that the CEO and a bunch of people's energy got diverted and they didn't keep a team in place to keep growing those revenues across the base platforms. So the revenues started to fall. That's deadly. Yeah. So what you have to do is you have to be able to manage that original business, pull the cash out of it, invest it in the next big thing, but realize that you got to be very smart about how you make those investments so that you don't destroy the company. You have to act more like Amazon does and be able to manage the growth of the original business and the next new business and the next new business and the next new business as you keep moving forward in order to be successful. Yeah, and I think there's a, there's a way to do that, and I think a lot of people struggle with how to do that. They might recognize they're, they're hearing us now, and they're thinking, you know what, maybe I should do that. Maybe I should figure out a way to to create this uh, this blank space team and so forth. And you know, we have a course obviously called uh, Think Innovation that walks with you how to do that. But just as a as a as a kind of a teaser, you know, you've got to build it into your strategy. Everybody talks about the strategic plan as this uh, golden tome that is written then put on the shelf. You know, it's got to be a living, breathing document. It's got to be something that you actually, uh, you know, 95% of it should be looking forward, not backwards. And of course, the way the business schools uh, train um, their their folks is the other way around. We want to spend all this time looking in the rearview mirror. How are your your uh, your revenues this time over last year? Um, you know, how is it, everything looking from the inside? How are your operational uh, metrics? And then at the very end, the last day, the last hour, they say, oh, by the way, I think we're going to go in this direction. Yeah, I mean, most strategic planning exercises are focused on who's our biggest customers, what do they want you know, from us to, with our traditional products, which are our best-selling products, and how do we make those better? So how do we sell more of what we've had to the customers we've always had, and then how do we optimize that business to pull more money out of it? That's the way we thought our strategic planning in 1982, because there was a lot of opportunities to improve the performance of companies back then. But now we have all kinds of great operational people that can do that kind of work. Leaders are the ones who have to stand in front and say, what are we going to do 
next? You know, where should we allocate our resources? How much should we put into the existing business? And what new ideas could I try to take to market and, and figure out how I could grow? The most extreme example of this is one I wrote up in the book, you know, Create Marketplace Disruption, where Singer, you say Singer, people think sewing machines. Well, they got so far behind a company called Brother, which was a division of one of these giant Japanese companies. And Brother Sewing Machines, they, they were, uh, Singer Sewing Machines were all metal. They were very heavy duty um, and they lasted a long time. Brother came along and they said, ours going to have a lot more plastic in them. They may not last quite as long, but they're for homeowners. They're not to be used in an industrial setting. And they started coming up with things like you could automate putting somebody's um, initials on, on, a, on their sleeve or on, a, on, the, on the collar. You know, they, they put buttonholing into the machine. There was all these features they started to add into it. And so the, the leadership, the CEO of Singer one day walks into his executive team and says, let's compare our two companies. Here's our Singer sewing machine. Here's the Brother machine. Brother machine is cheaper and it does a lot more than what we do. And he says, you know what? This game's already over. We're never going to catch them. They've out-innovated us, and their machines are going to keep getting better and better and better. They've already got more features, and they're never yeah. going to be as expensive as what we do. They sold the entire company, brand name, inventory, manufacturing, the whole thing. They sold it to the Japanese. Took the cash, sat down and said, well, what are we going to do now? They had no business. Imagine this. No business, but they had a lot of money. They and they, The leadership team took a year. They thought about what's going on, and at that time, they realized there was going to be Reagan, a big growth in the defense budget. They said, you know, we ought to get into the defense business. What's the best part? The best part of defense is the, the airplanes. What's the best part of airplanes? Oh, it's all the stuff in the cockpit, the electronics. That's And they went out, and they took their money, and they started buying defense contractors that focused on electronics for the cockpit of an airplane. And they turned that money into a 10x valuation improvement in like a matter of about six years and sold the whole thing to General Dynamics. So Singer went from selling sewing machines to selling electronic components that went into co uh, pilot to cockpits of, of, of uh, you know, F fighters out there. That is a big step. And very, very few people would be up for making that kind of a step. But that doesn't mean people shouldn't be thinking about yeah. it. You should be not only challenging the quality of your business, but you definitely should be challenging whether it deserves the resources that you give it. And then should I allocate those resources into something else, right? Yep, Don't exactly. keep trying to sell printing presses when copiers are already being installed in every customer that you have. There's lots of opportunity for, for that. I mean, this is not a stagnant world. And we talked about that, uh, that coffee company last time and, and you know, what's happened to the, the blank street coffee and, I think there's just a lot of hidden gems out there and uh, it's really a matter of, of the entrepreneur and that uh, executive leader to make those hard decisions. They may not be popular in the, in the interim, in the beginning, but if you're interested in making lots of uh, long-term uh, success, you may not be popular in the middle. So what last thoughts do you have for the, our viewers and listeners before we log off for this week? There's a lot to be learned from the Peloton story. They weren't stupid. That's the number one. They weren't stupid, they just didn't understand that when the times were good, they should have invested more resource in other value delivery systems instead of being so focused on just one value delivery system. Very well said, Adam. Until next week, we'll talk to you later. Cheers. <laughs>